0: A jammed, packed loudouts podcast coming up. Bryce Harper says he'll play first base. Jared Kelnick is red hot. How about baseball in Salt Lake City? That and much more on the Loudouts podcast. And it starts right now. Welcome into another edition of the Loudouts podcast. CJ and Spilly here with you. And there are so many things to get to that we're going to try to cram into about 30 minutes here. Once again, on the pod, Spilly. And we're going to start. Uh, with the news that Bryce Harper, while still not healthy just yet, has volunteered his services uh, to become the first baseman here going forward, or at least to learn the position for the Philadelphia Phillies. We know they lost Reese Hoskins to an injury out for the year. They lost Eric Hall. He won't be out for the entire year, but an injury there. And a lot of this makes a lot of sense for a bunch of different reasons. He is going to be a bat when he first comes back as a DH, but the fact that he even went out there and offered this, not just maybe for this year, but perhaps long-term, a new position for Bryce Harper. I know Rob Thompson and Dave Dombrowski love the unselfishness. I really like this move a lot for a lot of different reasons. We may see Bryce Harper playing first base for the Phillies at the end of the year and beyond.
1: I, I think it's great. I mean, I mean, I don't know how good of a first baseman Bryce Harper is going to be. It's not like it's an easy position, but he's a crazy athlete. I mean, you have to uh, go back and think of how Bryce Harper came to be. He was originally a catcher, so he was catching and then he went and got his GD. And then he went to the junior college in Nevada. Uh, and then he started, you know, transitioning to the outfield. And we've seen him in the outfield ever since. So can you move to first base? Sure. I, I think in the case of Philadelphia, you know, their internal candidates are, are Derek Hall. We we know Reese is done. He just said that. Uh, Reese was gonna be a free agent at the end of this offseason. So, you know, can you can you just put Bryce Harper in that spot? Sure. Hmm. We've also seen some examples of guys that have tried to play first base and it's not gone particularly well. I mean, Kyle Schwarber is a really good example. Um, There's plenty of, of, you know, cases where like, Hey, let's move this guy to first base and he's awful over there. And, And the reason why I think first base is often overlooked for the value that it has defensively is because we don't, we don't think about what it does to the rest of the infield. Hmm. We, we usually consider it, well, you know, like, can he field the ball at first base? Sure. But it's, you know, the good infields, good infields, much like good teams have a good catcher, good infields have a good first baseman. And what ends up happening is, I'll give you an example, like, watch where Paul Goldschmidt has gone. Everywhere Goldschmidt has gone, other players in the infield have received a gold glove. It doesn't mean that they're they're not good fielders, but it does improve the overall defense in the infield. If you have a gold glove caliber first baseman and, and, you know, last year we saw Brendan Donovan get a gold glove as a as a utility guy. We already know that Nolan's really, really good at first base at third base. But Nolan's also benefited from having good first baseman. Hmm. So, I, I mean, like he had Justin Morneau. Uh, He's had, you know, various first basemen in Colorado that were, you know, good. Mark Reynolds was a really good first baseman. And so, you know, he goes from that to Paul Goldschmidt. Goldie has seen Tommy Edmund get a gold glove. Paul DeYoung's been a finalist. I mean, so just think about that. If you put Bryce Harper at first, especially with an infield defense like the Phillies, which isn't really that strong, Alec Boehm gets worse. Trey Turner possibly gets worse. If he's not good at it.
0: If he's not good at it. Right. He did play some third base when he was younger. Like if if, if the hands are there and I i don't think they're looking for average, I think they have to be looking for slightly above average. At least I'm with you. Can't be a bad first baseman over there. But if they like what they see and he's already working with Bobby Dickerson, that's already started. We know, again, he's going to come back as a DH. Eventually, they thought maybe he'd be in the outfield in September. He may not see the field at all this year defensively, but I I, I wonder for them, they have to figure this out, right? Because they love the idea. If he's If he's average or below average, I'm with you. No bueno. Can't do it. But if he's good and his hands are good and he can be a a, a respectable or better, like above average first baseman, well, this opens up all kinds of doors come free agency now next year, right? As opposed to maybe having to look for a first baseman if Hoskins was not going to be in the plans. Now they can start looking in the outfield potentially. So I think at least I want to at least see it, but I'm with you. If he's average or below average, that's not going to be good enough.
1: No, not, a, not at all. And, and again, like if you're the Philadelphia Phillies and you're trying to get back to the world series, the biggest complaint we had last season with the Phillies was their defense stunk. Hmm. And it did. You go back and you consider the trajectory of, of Rob Thompson and you're like, wow, you know, maybe that's what they really needed. They'd move on from Joe Girardi and this, you know, like this hard line, real tough manager. He's, he's really stinking up the clubhouse. That's not the case. Go back and watch it. Bryson Stott started to play. Uh, you had the center fielder that ended up getting traded to Veerling. Detroit. Yeah, Matt Fearling was in center field. They trade yeah. for Brandon Marsh. Marsh is an, is an above average outfielder. Um, you know, Didi Gregorius is no longer your shortstop. Alec Boehm settled down. Like those things matter. Yeah, They matter. That was up the middle defense that improved. Gene Segura. Playing second base was an improvement. So, you know, as, as much as you want to point out and go, Hey, the, these guys can bop and and this guy, you know, the pitching staff, uh, like I'll point out again, the St. Louis Cardinals right now, as, as like another example of how defense impacts a team, the Cardinals right now, believe it or not, they have made a handful of errors, mm-hmm. uh, up to a couple days ago, they had zero errors, CJ. They had zero. But they ranked dead last in defensive efficiency in baseball reference, which is both a stat that you and I uh, appreciate. It's pretty simple. It's just balls in play turn into outs. That's it. Uh, and then you get credit for, you know, if you start getting some balls outside the outside the zone where the range factors, those do matter. Uh, but that's not the end-all be-all for the stat. And in the case of the Cardinals, they were dead last, even though they committed no error in defensive efficiency. So I went because the Cardinals were in Colorado. And I asked around, I said, hey, you know, what's going on with this defense? And, you know, they said, hey, we've been impacted a little bit by the non-shift rules. And, you know, our our defense has been, you know, there, it's been, there's been some holes here. As good as the bookends have been with uh, Goldschmidt, Nolan, the defense has been shoddy. For the Cardinals, and as a result, they've gotten off to a pretty poor start. And the pitching staff has seen batting average balls in play like through the roof. And when you have a contact-driven pitching staff, and your defense isn't great, the record is the byproduct. Uh-huh. And, and so it's like Milwaukee, number one in defensive efficiency. The Tampa Bay Rays, number two. Where are they at? Well, oh, they're they're leading their division. Last season, we saw four of the top five defensive efficiency teams win their division. Oh, my God. What a surprise. So, again, going back to the Phillies and kind of piecing that all together, if the Phillies think they're going to get back to their level where they want to be, they have to make sure that their defense is tight. And if the defense is tighter with Bryce Harper at first, go for it. If it's worse, it's a terrible idea.
0: Yeah, and I don't think I think. They, don't, they won't do it. Bobby Dickerson has already been working with him. I read first day out about 25 minutes or so spent at first base and some underhand flips. There's a lot of intricacies that go into first base. It's it's not an automatic. I think that's been highlighted over the last few years. You can just throw anybody out there. Uh, you have to have a good defender mix up as all those things you kind of laid out for uh, some bad throws or it gives infielders the confidence to just get it near that first baseman on some plays where you don't have a lot of time and you're not thinking about do I need to make a perfect throw just like a, a pitcher who's willing to throw a breaking ball in the dirt with a runner at third base or anything, split finger, whatever it may be, knowing you'll have the confidence there's a good chance that your catcher is going to be able to block it. So yeah, it's going to be a fun one to watch. We'll keep an eye on it. Uh, The news coming out of Philadelphia at least right now that uh, Bryce Harper is asked and talked about Uh, potential of playing first base after they lost Reese Hoskins, a little light on that position. If it works out where he looks good and they have the confidence to do it, uh, how it changes their offseason outlook, I think matters. But I'm with you, Spilly. It cannot be uh, just okay. It has to be really good. They don't want to go down that path again of all that attention that is focused on their defense uh, and the struggles that they've had. And all of a sudden, they start to get what they've had the last couple of years before they went on that run and Rob Thompson uh, took over, and things got a lot better for the Philadelphia Phillies. But you certainly do appreciate the unselfishness of Bryce Harper. It'll be a while, though, before he even sees the field. Some of the things that we have read, uh, they're even believing that maybe he doesn't see the field at all this year, which then wow. puts him in an even aw- more awkward spot, right? Where if you're sitting here working out Bryce Harper, but the arm says, you know what, it's not just, it's not quite time yet. Uh, for him to be able to do it as a big leaguer, I don't know how you can make a decision and feel comfortable with him playing first base in the big leagues in 24 without seeing and getting a good look at him this year. Somehow, way, it's just too difficult. You can practice things all day long, run them through a spring training. I guess the other part of it that I'm wondering a little bit here, Spilly, for him is whether or not uh, it is better for him long term, right? Thinking about the issues that he's had with the arm and playing first base, listen, you still have to throw, but it's a little bit less than what you're doing in the outfit. He's a good outfitter. And when he is on that team, They're probably better off with him playing the outfield as opposed to having Nick Castellanos and Kyle Schwarber both in the outfield. Right. So that's the whole puzzle that they have to figure out and put together. But what about the longevity part of this real quick for Bryce Harper? Better or worse for him? It seems like it'd be better, less steps. You have this huge contract. What does it mean for the body, potentially, if he was going to switch to first base and give up on the outfield?
1: Uh, It's a good point. I I mean, a couple of the the steps going from the dugout to first base is, is 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 great. Um, you know, I, I do think the wear and tear on the body at first base, it's, it still takes a toll. I mean, being on the, on the dirt is harder on your back than being on the grass. Mm. You you also have, you know, you get to more of a defensive position. You're having to shuffle a lot more. So there's a lot more movement at first base, even though you're, you're not running the same amount. I, I think it's probably even Steven in the grand scheme of things. I mean, if I had. My perfect case scenario with with Bryce Harper, I'm probably just keeping him as a DH, yeah, because uh, that's where his true value. I mean, his value is a as a right fielder. He's not Mookie Betts, uh, you know. He's he's yeah. he's not that type of of defender. He's good, but I I can't, you know, if if I if I want him on the field, I, I think I'm. It's either or right field first mm-hmm. base. I, I don't think it's if he was an elite defender first base right field, then I'd say, yeah, I definitely want to keep him in the field. But um, his bat is what makes him so unique. It makes him so special. I mean, he's an MVP bat.
0: Yeah, I mean, listen, but I look at their personnel, and while he definitely is maybe not upper echelon defensively, he's one of the better corner outfielders they have right now. That's the thing. It comes down to constructing that roster, putting it together. What's going to make the most sense? For them going forward. But it's an interesting story coming out of Philadelphia. Bryce Harper uh, throwing it out there. Uh, they at least would like a look over at first base. Is that going to be best for the club? We're not going to know for quite a few months, quite honestly. Here we are in the middle of April. I mean, it's April 13th, and we'll be lucky if we see him playing defense in September. All right, let's move around a little bit. There is a lot going on here, and this is a cool story. I like this one because I've always liked this trip, and it's always been a great place to hit, but it's just been <laughs> kind of fun. And it's a fun city, and it's kind of cool. And it has, of course, I think a very similar feel that you get in Denver. And this is the idea that the Salt Lake City, uh, there's a group, I should say, in Salt Lake City that is interested in trying to bring a major league baseball team uh, to Salt Lake. I love it. I absolutely love the idea. Obviously, we know elevation and home runs and everything else that would come along with it. That's a whole nother story. But it's just always been a really cool city. and they could support a big league franchise, it's a former Utah Jazz owner that is in on this. Uh, it seems like government officials like the idea as well. Uh, I love it. We are going to get the 32 teams sooner or later. We've talked a lot about Nashville. We've talked about Montreal. We've talked about Las Vegas. Well, now it sounds like Salt Lake City wants their name involved in this as well. And whether it means a new expansion team, as we kind of go, or if it means something like, you know, the Oakland A's or even the Tampa Bay Rays, I don't know, like they got to get their situation settled. If there are cities that are hungrier to put a big league team together with new stadiums, it's got to happen. This is nothing but a good thing, in my opinion, Spilly, that we have another city, major city, uh, that is making a push and wants to get in on the big leagues.
1: So my my original like my my gut reaction was like okay Salt Lake City no, but if you think about Oakland's situation and mm-hmm. ideally for for Major League Baseball, they want Nashville and Vegas and they want those expansion fr- uh, price tags. They want yeah. those price tags. They really do. So if Vegas is an option for a expansion team, they want that $2.5 billion expansion fee cost. They want the same one in Nashville. They have to figure out Oakland. They have to figure out St. Pete. And if Salt Lake comes out of nowhere and they say, you know what? We'll be the destination for Oakland. We'll be the destination for the Oakland A's. and geographically that's not that bad of a spot where um, Mm I'm Utah and Oakland. You could still remain in the American league West for the time being. We know it's going to get restructured at some point. Yeah. And, And now you start thinking about, okay, uh, media market wise, Salt Lake city is nowhere near what Oakland is, but Oakland just looks like a bad actor right now. I mean, that port authority is going to get jammed up no matter what, because there's a billion dollar industry with, with, with shipping and all these, I mean, like if, if they want to put a monkey wrench into the building of that, of that area, they could, I mean, that's the shipping. That whole situation is way more complicated than S- salt Lake city saying, you know what? We have a spot downtown. Mm-hmm. We have a spot near um, where the jazz play. That place is really cool. We, we go to salt Lake all the time. I played yep. there a bunch of times. Can that area support, Major League Baseball. My answer is yes, it could. I don't think it's a massive stadium. I think it's a very small stadium,
0: which has been the co- trend anyway. Right, they've gotten smaller,
1: and that should. Be, I mean, if that's a thirty thousand uh, Wrigley Field type, type stadium, yeah. you have development around it. People can watch from their balconies. Almost picture a little bit of, of like the Padres and Petco Park. I think you would be able to hold. A, a team, but I can't picture Salt Lake as an expansion because the expansion wants to go towards Nashville and Vegas. That's where it looks like. This yeah. would be a relocation. And if, if Salt Lake could get their act together quickly and go, hey, look, check this out. We have the stadium, we have all this. Uh, but the problem is is if you have the Utah Jazz owner wanting it, I mean, are they buying out Oakland? Is he gonna yeah. buy the franchise? Form, from, former from owner. The A's, former yeah. owner.
0: So yeah. I, I don't Gale know that. Miller look at you assuming that it was a guy Gail Miller Spilly
1: guy or girl. I mean, I, I just, I just I'm said just it as a your
0: It's okay. We but can joke about these things. There's
1: a lot of right. money in Salt Lake City. There is a lot of money to hold. hold I like
0: state. it. Got to have a roof. Obviously got to be retractable. I think probably the play, but it, I, I love the idea. Uh, we got to have more big cities that are involved in wanting this. It just puts more pressure on everybody else to get it done and get our league where it needs to go. All right, so some news coming out of Salt Lake. How about for the Seattle Mariners, Billy? This has been a really cool story because this is a guy that we've paid a ton of attention to, and it hasn't really happened for him, and that's Jared Kelnick. You go back to 2021, uh, we first saw him in the big leagues. He hit 181, uh, did hit some home runs, but it didn't go well over his 377 uh, plate appearances. Last year, it got even worse. He had 141 in 181 plate appearances. And I will tell you, someone uh, working in the American League West and watching him with a lot of eyeballs that have been on him, you could see the pressure mounting that he was putting on himself. And mentally, he looked like he was just having a really, really difficult time, right? There was a lot of attention paid to him. Big prospect when he got traded from the Mets. Mets fans were very upset that Edwin Diaz, Robinson Cano deal. Uh, They thought they were losing a potential superstar, and it just wasn't happening uh, for him over the last couple of years. However, so far this season, it's only 41 plate appearances, but he has exploded, and he looks really good. And you know this, right? You get off to a good start, and the confidence then follows. Take a batting average for what it's worth uh, this early into the season, but he is hitting 351. Three home runs in his 11 games played. Ten of those are starts and you sit here and you go look up and down the line and not surprisingly, everything is kind of fall, fall in line, which you would expect for a guy that's playing well. The contact rate is up significantly. The chase rate is down. He is seeing more pitches uh, per plate appearance. Uh, the punch outs are about the same down a little bit. Uh, the walk rate about the same, a little bit better, uh, but everything seems to be going his way. It's not just uh, the home runs four doubles in there as well for Jared Kelnick. He had an absolute bomb at Wrigley. Oh, uh, yeah. Basically, well, I don't know if you want to call it the, the second deck of the bleachers, if you will. I don't, I, don't have a, I don't know if it has a technical name. I heard Mark DeRosa saying he only saw one player ever hit a ball there ever. And it was Carlos Sombrano in batting practice, uh, which is kind of amazing to think that it was a pitcher that actually did it. Uh, But he looks locked in. And, you know, again, I've watched this kid so much, Billy. I've watched him go. He's like when he's low, he's low. And when he's high, he's high. And that's a tough place to be as a big leaguer, like to be on that emotional roller coaster. But he's high now and he's got talent for days. And you just wonder now if this is going to catapult him into that. I want to say a big season. I understand he's on that path, just a, a good, a really good big league season. He may be headed there, but Jared Kelnick right now with the Seattle Mariners uh, making his name known. It had to be hard for him. You know, he'd never admit it, but it had to be hard for him to watch J-Rod, Julio Rodriguez have the success that he had right away to get the contract. He probably thought that was him two years ago and it wasn't happening. And not only was it not happening, it was bad. And so all of that kind of, you know, festering and all of a sudden now a really nice start here to 2023.
1: One of the things I like about it for, for Kelnick, and I, I'm going to buy, I'm going to buy Jared Kelnick. I, I like the swing change that, and I'll give you an example of the swing change of, of what he's done. So he's relaxed his hands. So his hands sit relaxed on his shoulder. And then when he starts his load, it's a, it, he drops his hands like a Barry bonds type load. Um, and the reason why I love those, those type of loads is because it naturally will, put your hands in a lower slot and then it won't allow it to get above the shoulder. It just doesn't, you you physically can't do it. So you're, you're actually firing your hands from a really good comfortable position, which allows you to take your hands and your bat straight to the ball. You get on plane a lot faster. uh, So you're not, you know, you're not worried about the high fastball. You can catch the off-speed pitch down in the zone for a lefty. That's really important. So I I think the, the mechanical change has freed up his mind. Now you, now you can just look at the baseball. That's all you do Mm -hmm. at that point, because you, the hands are a timing mechanism with your legs. And because of that, it's, it's almost set it and forget it, see the baseball and hit it like that's it. And so when I watch players that have skill sets that are better than mine, better than yours, they're just really talented but they're locked into something, right? Something's preventing them, um, you know, pressure. You can point at Spencer Torkelson last year. Here's a guy that's, you know, talent-wise is better than most, but he got locked up in trying to be an everyday big leaguer and trying to have this weight of, of Detroit and all this stuff, and he just went in the, in the trash can. Kelnick, I'm, I'm assuming, had the same thing, but now with this Mariners lineup, I mean, he's hitting sixth. You have Teoscar Hernandez. You have Cal Raleigh. You have. Uh, Ty you
0: France have, is crushing it. Suarez Ty is having France, a nice year. Suarez.
1: Yeah. I mean, you, like you have a lineup where nobody really says, oh, man, if Jared Kelnick doesn't go three for four, we're not winning today. Yeah. That and there's no pressure. His pressure is. See the ball, hit the ball. Uh, if there's a team at bat, you know, pull the ball to the right side. If there's a guy with. One out and on third base, you know, get the ball in the air or hit it hard up the middle. There's no additional weight, mm. and to be honest, nobody gives a rat's behind about Diaz on the Mets anymore. Yeah, or or Robinson Cano, nobody cares. Yeah, I don't look at him and go, oh man, he's a failure because I don't care about your prospect status. I never have. I never will. I could care less if he turn out to be a superstar big leaguer or an average guy, or you wash away. It doesn't matter to me. Your career does not matter to me. It doesn't really matter to the fan base. What matters to a fan base, what matters to us, is watching a team succeed. That's it. No one ever is worth more than team success.
0: Ever. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. I think for him, and because of the team success, it's probably helped a little bit as well. I think wanting to be a part of it, And seeing the other guys succeed again, I mean, there was times he looked so lost, so frustrated. I I started to feel bad for him. But even though early on, there was a kind of an outgoing, uh, confident personality, right? Feeling like he should have been in the big leagues back in 2020. You certainly can appreciate the confidence in yourself. And for some guys, it spills over and then it's on the outside. Then, you know, maybe uh, it looks like a little bit of arrogance. But, you know, he got humbled pretty quickly and now he's back. Uh, And it's good to see. Uh, It's good to see for the Mariners because you hate to see a guy struggle that badly. And you could tell the kind of pressure that he was putting on himself. So no doubt the Mariners thrilled with what they're getting here early on. And you heard it from Spilly buying into this, uh, these adjustments that they will stick here for the long term. Now, we mentioned the home run at Wrigley Field on the other side for the Chicago Cubs. A little bit of news for them, a contract extension and kind of an interesting one that I think that bought uh, that caught both of our attentions, and that's a three-year deal for Ian Happ. Ian Happ is going to be, a, was going to be a free agent at the end of the year. He's only 28 years old; he'll turn 29 in August. And so, essentially, this three-year deal buys two years of free agency. It buys age 30 and 31. Uh, it's a nice deal; better than 60 million dollars over the three years. He's making 11 million this year, his last before he heads to free agency. But you know, the years based on the player and the timing of this kind of caught. Our attention here a little bit. Ian Happ is a good player. He's off to a really nice start here. Uh, so far, the OPS plus of 141. Uh, far and away would be a career high. Probably a long way to go before we get there. But this is a guy has been relatively consistent uh, with home runs. Uh, the batting average peaked a little bit last year. He's been more of a kind of a 250 career hitter. Last year, we saw him hit 271 in 158 games. That was certainly a good sign. Uh, the OPS at 781. Lower than other years that we have seen. But this was a real full year. Uh, for him so 11 games in uh, one home run 890 is the OPS uh, swinging a really good bat a guy does a nice job for them who they've been able to move around uh, over the years whether it be in the infield and the outfield the way things are set up now we see him uh, in the outfield mostly in left uh, and has been so far this season for the Chicago Cubs but what do you think about the the timing of this but maybe more interesting the years uh, for Ian Happ to sign this deal with the Chicago Cubs
1: the timing of it is weird. Usually, you don't see second week of 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 a baseball season an extension like that
0: for a guy who's going to be a free. It would have been a free agent, right? Getting closer I, and closer to free agency.
1: Yeah, I mean, he is hitting third for the Cubs. I I think if you've been around Ian Happ, you can really appreciate this guy. I mean, he's been sent down to the minor leagues. He's he's kind of had you know, he's had a rough go, and for him to figure it out, it's hard not to cheer for that. I I also believe when you know, what the Cubs feel like they're doing is turning it around. And this goes beyond just the numbers. And, and I get this. Sometimes I, I I think it's overblown, but when you do have a player that you feel is productive and I, and I believe Ian Happ will be productive, but there's more to the culture. There's more to how he's worked, how he's gone through this, where he can be an example to some of the younger players that might be coming up at some point. And, you know, organizations like to reward those guys. It, it, it's, it's like, Hey, look at what we did. We rewarded this guy before he got to free agency. See what we did. Doesn't that make the clubhouse better? You've seen that. Well, yeah. I've seen it. And and like, yeah, you're happy for Ian Happ. Ian Happ is also you know he's he was at the right place at the right time in the right organization trying to prove a point. Uh, so I I I'm I'm with you in the kind of the optics of him like whoa okay. Uh, but I also understand from like a business standpoint, it's nice to reward employees that have gone through it, are being successful, will be successful, but also can show an example to other people. It also brings me, I mean, like the other day, CJ, I was watching. So I see Wilson Contreras, Javi Baez is off to like a miserable start. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris Bryant in the last couple of years has been when he's healthy, he's on the field, but when he's not, he's not uh, watching Rizzo going back and thinking, you know, from the Cubs standpoint, if they would have kept that group together, Wilson Contreras, Chris Bryant, Javi Baez, uh, Kyle Schwarber, Anthony Rizzo, there's five of those guys. And if they invested the same amount of money, into those players like these other organizations do we would be talking about the disaster that yeah. the Chicago Cubs are great An absolute dumpster fire of bad contracts that's a hundred percent we would be talking about 2023 and how much longer will the Cubs be able to do this with this roster looking like that
0: yeah <laughs> I'm with you that's a great point. And they, listen, they made that conscious decision to kind of move on from the names fan favorites, right? I mean, all names that obviously Cubs fans and those that even follow the game know, and really good personalities in there, but they had made that decision that they were going to go ahead and take that step back. It makes it a little bit easier. I think when you win uh, the world series, the way that they did, that was a huge one for them and breaking that curse. And so they went into a little bit of a lull and had to get through some contracts Anyway, I mean, I had to get through Jason Hayward and let him go. And so they were already in, in a weird spot anyway, as it was. And so to make that decision, Fans had in Chicago have been through it before, right? Leading up to the World Series, they had done that, right? Basically not participating in free agency, clearing some things out, developed some of their own and made the moves when they had to make them to kind of put them over the top. And it feels like they're kind of doing somewhat of the same right now. Dansby Swanson is is the one player where they jumped in the deep end. Seven years, $177 million. Year one is going fantastic. Uh, Marcus Stroman has another year. Seiya Suzuki's got three more after this one. Jamison Tyone's got three after this one. Ian Happ now has three. After this one, uh, Brad Broxberger is also assuming Nico Horner uh, under for three more years after this one. Uh, and so what they've done there uh, is, yeah, they have now, guys, I think, an identity, quite honestly, with this group. Uh, but they're, it's it's their contracts that are much more comfortable than what they would have cost to try to keep the other guys together. And you're right. It's a great point. It probably would have been a pretty big mistake for them um, to go down that path. I want to get through a couple of other things real quick here. Uh, Before we finish up, Corey Seager goes on the IL for the Texas Rangers. He's going to miss a month. He was off to a really nice start. That is unfortunate uh, for the Rangers. Josh Smith, though, can slide in and play short. He's a very good defender. Uh, He can get on base. He knows how to work a count, but it's a much different offensive profile. Uh, I think the Rangers will probably hold Pat there. We'll see. I don't think they're going to go outside the organization, not for a month. But that one stung a little bit. Uh, But how about Max Muncy, too? I want to get to him. Uh, We've talked about him quite a bit. And uh, he had quite the series against the San Francisco Giants. Uh, Max Muncy kind of hit or miss. You and I talked about him on the radio show on Monday on Loud Outs 3 to 6 Eastern Time uh, every day on MLB uh, Network Radio. But man, when do you give him a day off when he's red hot? They gave him the middle of the series off and he still drove in 11 runs against the Giants.
1: Crazy. I mean, that's again, like a swing adjustment, certain guys. And he went back to something that he used to do. The left-handed hitter, left foot is your is your back leg. He would take a false step. Uh, Nolan Arnauto took a false step. There's a couple examples of guys that that took a false step. So they're stepping back towards the catcher, create some, uh, some ground force. And then they hit from there. Max Muncy did it. He stopped doing it. Uh, He was way out on his front foot. i saw him a week ago when the Rockies played him, his bats were really hit or miss. He ran into one pitch. That was a hanging slider which most guys can hit a hanging slider. It's almost a BP fastball when it's 83 miles an hour, center, center. You just have to throw your swing at it. <laughs> if you hit it, it's gone. Hmm. Uh, so I watched it and I was like, oh, yep. Yeah, okay. He hit a homer on a, on a, like on a pitch that CJ, you could hit for a home run. Wow. It's and and crazy. But my, but my point is, is like, that's not, I'm not going to celebrate that one. Cause I've seen Max Muncy when he's hitting close to 40 homers. I was like, that's not the Max Muncy I'm used to seeing. Now I see it with San Francisco when Muncie's right, he drives the ball center to left center, and then he'll pull a baseball. He'll also take his walks. The false step got his body in the right place. That's why, I mean, you and I talked about this where it was, okay, he did it in the first day he did it. He hit two homers. And then we were like, I guess, do you want to reinforce it? Because it was going to go up against uh, Alex Wood. Do you want to reinforce it against a lefty? Do you want that extra day? And they decided against it. And then he faces another righty, and boom, he hits mm. two two more. So I, I, it is amazing. It it is absolutely amazing. But it it does prove the point when a player has their their mechanics in, and they're in a place where they can repeat their swing. What happens to their confidence? Boom,
0: through the, through the roof. roof. Yeah. We're seeing it. You're right. And, uh, you know, this and the Dodgers believed in it, even though there were some struggles for uh, Max Muncie and kind of getting that contract taken care of. But a very nice series for him against the Giants, the Dodgers right now, as we're taping this podcast, seven and six tied for second place with the San Diego Padres. They're all looking up at the Arizona Diamondbacks, who are eight and five, a team that we've talked about quite a bit uh struggling at 5 and 7 we believe they'll probably come around but there have been good stories coming out of St. Louis and one last one here uh before we take off for the day this Jordan Walker story is fun local kid uh from Georgia Stone Mountain area here uh in Atlanta 319 so far in his 12 games couple of home runs. He's got a hit in every game, Spilly. He is starting out his career uh, with a 12-game hit streak. Uh, I've listened to him talk a couple of times when Nolan hit number 300. It was cool when he talked about kind of grinding through and trying to get his first big league home run and to think that Nolan Arenado has done it 300 times. times—like You could just see the respect and you can you, you get the feel for this kid that he gets it. Uh, he is a bright star because he's a big man. He's got a ton of power and it looks like he's got some personality to go with it uh, in a good way, but what an incredible start. 15 hits so far for him, but at 12-game hitting streak. He's hitting the ball on the ground quite a bit, uh, which is interesting. And when that happens, of course, we know that leads to a a higher-than-average batting average on balls in play. That Babbitt, it is high at three eighty two. League average is three hundred. So maybe a couple of breaks in there as well. 11 strikeouts to just one walk. Uh, Not a launch angle guy, necessarily. As I mentioned, he's hitting the ball on the ground quite a bit, but it's been a really fun start to the season for Jordan Walker.
1: Well, I mean, and historically, when you think about somebody that starts their career off with a twelve-game hitting streak, it's it ties Eddie Murphy, not the not the comedian, but Eddie Murphy, yeah. a player back in like love the nineteen hundreds. Oh. Yeah, great movie. I love putting bananas in people's exhaust. I, I, I the other part is you know he he's, he passed Ted Williams. I, I think it's kind of a cherry-picking stat. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like longest hit streak for somebody below the age of 21 or 22. Mm. So it feels like a cherry picking stat, but it's still really cool because at 21, I was, you know, picking my nose. And, yes. and like I was at UCSB.
0: Also just at 40. A,
1: yeah. Also at 40, because it yeah. took me 27 years to graduate. Uh, I like this story, Jordan Walker. I will tell you, his defense in right field is not great. Mm. Um, the bat can play. Ollie Marmol has, has raved about the kid's personality. He's really low, real even keel, kind of the opposite of Jared Kelnick. Uh, his parents are also incredibly intelligent. I believe they met uh, in Ivy League school somewhere. Um, so, so they're both. I, I believe they're both doctors. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, like we're talking like super smart, really like well groomed kid. Yeah. Uh, that that can handle this. And so it's it's really fun to see. Um, I think there'll be a market correction. For Jordan Walker,
0: yeah, probably, yeah.
1: I, I, I mean, I, 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 don't know what type of hitter he is overall, just because yep. it's it's the first go round at the major league. So they're you know it's like dogs at a dog park. They're kind of just sniffing him out, mm. uh, and they'll figure it out at some point. But he is he's an impressive human.
0: Yeah, at and the that very matters. least, the, he's, a, he's yeah, a very I be, impressive. Yeah, I want to be clear on that because the reason we bring something like that up because if he does turn into a star, these are the kind of guys you get excited about, right? That you can rally behind. That they seem like it's so early in his career; it's ridiculous to say it this early. But because he's gotten off to this great start, and because you're drawn to the person, you know, oh, could this be one of our guys potentially? One of the guys that we start talking about a couple years and establish yourself. But who who you would want representing your team, your clubhouse, your game? And obviously, they have stars there in in. Uh, in St. Louis, and so they don't necessarily need him to be that guy. But we see a young player handle himself the way that he is. It, it just it jumps off the page. It's really impressive. Uh, he looks really good. So a nice start to the season. Yeah, there's probably going to be some re- regression. What something changes, either he doesn't hit the ball on the ground nearly as much, um, or the strikeouts go down. As far as you know, that kind of stuff, the swing and miss that's in the in his game. Um, but he still looks pretty good, and we love seeing a guy that handles himself. So. Uh, amazingly well. As we're taping this, uh, in a little while here, the Tampa Bay Rays are getting ready to start and try to win uh, their 13th straight game. We will see if that holds or not. We'll certainly talk about it uh, in the next podcast. They have been on an absolutely uh, incredible run, 12-0 and so far for the Tampa Bay Rays. Jeffrey Springs going uh, this afternoon against Corey Kluber, the former right, but we're out of time so we'll have to talk about it next time. Thanks for listening to the Loud Outs podcast. Have a great day, everybody.
1: Sirius XM Podcasts.